1: grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series called The Faith that's based on the book of Titus, a letter to Titus from the Apostle Paul. As Pastor Sean is in chapter two now, and it's all about making disciples. But Let's start with you. How are you doing in your spiritual growth? And how do you measure that? Sean will have us look at our habits, our behaviors, and the words that come out of our mouth. Look out. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. If you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. Today it's part one of the message called Transformed. Pastor Sean is in Titus chapter 2 in the first 15 verses. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: Uh, We're in this book. Uh, study of the book of Titus. We've called it The Faith. And we're just unpacking different messages as Paul writes this letter to this young pastor named Titus. And if you've missed those messages, I encourage you to go online. You can go to reallife.org. You can go through the app and check out the messages and kind of because it does build one message on the other. Titus is a beautiful glimpse into the mission of the church at work. As Paul coaches this young pastor who he left on the island of Crete to establish churches. We get this incredible picture of the mission to make disciples. And that's really what the mission of the church is. We do all kinds of different things, but understand we want to glorify God by helping people who are far from God come to know Him and experience everything He had for them. That's our mission. We say it more people living real life by passionately following Jesus. And we live in a world that is going crazy. We've seen 29 people killed in mass shootings in El Paso and in Ohio. Our world is going insane, and our hearts break, we pray, but let me just tell you, what it does is it lights a fire on us for our mission. Our mission is to make disciples, to help people grow, and we will do that however and wherever we can. That's what Paul is addressing here in the book of Titus, and what's fascinating as he does this is he addresses a multi-generational church, and I love the multi-generational church, you know, in our culture, we love to segment everything into ages and to generations. This is this type of church. This is that type of church. Kids are in all their different age levels, and I think age-appropriate ministries are important. But you got to understand, I love the multi-generational church, and that's who we are at River City. We are a multi-generational church, and and more and more, I, I travel and talk to people. Uh, this is not necessarily all that common. Some people think, well, this is a church for young families. This is a church for young people. This is a church for, for older people. And, and each church has to kind of focus in just on that crowd. I want to say to you, because of the family nature of the church, I think the church should be, in its true organic sense, multigenerational. And we have been that since the very beginning. I mean, really, River City is a truly multi-generational church. And I'm not just talking about attendance. I'm talking about in, like, our leadership. Okay? We, we started, the church started in, in our home. Lori's in my home. And Lori's parents, Butch and Linda Newman, have been apart since that very beginning. Butch is an elder with us and ministers and serves. You gotta know, it's great to have family in church. I got a lot of family in the church. Butch to this day will still call me Shawnee Boy, which is really nice in the church you lead. Which I'm a pastor! Oh, I know Shawnee Boy, we're so proud. Mm. Mm. Family church is fun. But, I mean, it's awesome that they've been a part. And, and you know, obviously, Lori and I lead the fellowship as, as the senior pastors. Our kids are involved in ministry. Ryan is one of our kids who was just leading a worship. Lauren leads our creative arts ministry. They work with students. They work in ministry. They lead groups. Now, their kids, my grandchild, Ryland, the oldest, and Butch and Linda's great-granddaughter, just were part of the worship team in VBS. I mean, that's what a multi-generational church is all about. Uh, Some of you guys know the Markintel family. Uh, Rick and Linda are here. Hi, guys. You you guys are everywhere. I don't even know how many. I I hesitate names. But Rick and Linda are elders. They lead our real-life Christian assistance ministry. Their daughters, Lana and Shanna, are on staff with us. Their son-in-laws minister and serve. Their grandchildren, Jaden is our sound guy. Jacob works with our facilities team. Uh, uh, Patience and and her husband, Will Cox. I mean, they're all over. And now their grandson. Noah is going after my job, and it's just going to be a matter of time. I envision he and Ryan fighting it out years from now. Good. Let him have it. That's multi-generational. Bo Bowman is part of our missions team, does a great job of helping people experience missions. His grandson, Christian, is a part of our leadership and works with our students. I'm I'm just saying that's how the church should work. And and our, our kids aren't just doing tasks. They're leading ministries. And I think that's possible. I love our worship team. Our worship team is a visual picture of that. You see a bunch of 20-somethings. Well, Derek kind of breaks that mold. Sorry, Derek. I love him, Bill Warren. You're laughing, Bill. I love him, Bill's playing bass. His grandpa up there, man. They even roll me out every once in a while and let me play along with the team, right? My favorite, uh, Brian Binky, okay? Uh, Josh Wright, who Josh actually just moved to Indiana but has been with us for years. Both those guys made fun of me as the old guy the worship team and they're the young hip guys and all that well now they're both dads they both have turned 40 and now I see them with all these 20 something and they're the old guys like, <laughs> I mean in Christian love of course it's all loving and caring but I'm like isn't that awesome and that's not a typical thing and, and I love the multi-generational church and that's a vision that we have here that families and entire families and not you know I mean, I mean so anyone can find a place anyone Singles, couples, grandparents, grandkids. It's an awesome, awesome place. And Paul takes a moment and he addresses the multi-generational church here. Because it's how the church was wired. In Titus chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Why don't you turn your Bibles there. We've got the notes in the app. Uh, we've got the notes uh, in the, your, your bulletin. You have a copy of notes, however you want to use that. Titus chapter 2. I'm going to begin with verse 1. Look what he says. He says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Now, when you you read that sentence, you know he's referring to what happened before. And we're actually going to go there. As opposed to what was happening before, you do this. You teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. They can urge, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. What's interesting is he's acknowledging that Titus is one of these young men. And so he kind of blends in this, this exhortation to young men, he blends in some words for Titus. By example, it's good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them. We're going to look at this in a minute, but how can he say that? How can he say that? I'll I'll explain that in just a moment. But to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make their teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just pray that you will speak to us. I pray that we'll hear your word. I pray that we won't try to dismiss your word or try to get your word to fit into our picture of the world. Lord, I pray that we will align our ideas, our lives to the truth of what you say and who you are. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So understand, this is a passage of contrast. That's what that how, you, however, okay. It's contrasting what came before regarding false teachers, and, and he also refers to rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers. You remember how we closed the last chapter? This is this is uh, chapter one, verses fifteen and sixteen. He says, "To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted." They claim to know God, but by their actions, really important concept here, by their actions, they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. See what he's saying? They, this is what they're like. And, and the implication, remember we talked in our Us and Them series and said, when it comes to the brokenness of sin, there is no us and them, there's just us. In other words, when he says they are this way, you were this way apart from Christ. And his point is, but you shouldn't be anymore. Our faith should make an obvious, significant difference in how we view the world, how we see, how we live our lives, how we speak, how we think. And he, I find it interesting, he makes these unique exhortations based on life stage, based on where people are in their life. He starts with the older men, teach older men to be temperate. Think grandfathers. He's talking to the grandfathers who have raised their children and he says to them, they're to be temperate, worthy of respect. Worthy of respect, self-controlled. By the way, he uses that word a lot in this passage. We're going to notice that. And sound in faith and love and endurance. Grandfathers, whether you're an actual grandfather or not, you're in that life stage, you're supposed to be a foundation. Worthy of respect. I think sometimes we've been told, and we live in a society that looks down on, on people that are so obsessed with youth. We look down sometimes on people who are older. That is just foolishness. It is deception, and it is wrong. It is definitely wrong. Here's the the thing. If you're here and you go, well, hey, I'm retired, and my job is to play golf now and and tell my kids what they're doing wrong, okay? Not that those things aren't fun, mind you. I don't care, you know. I'm just saying, yeah, that's not what the Scripture says. You have an assignment. You have a role in the context of the family of God in the church, and you are to be a foundation. And, and here's the little slogan. I've thrown it out to you before. If you're thinking, well, but I'm kind of retired. I can kind of just coast now. Yeah, if you're not dead yet, you're not done yet. Okay? If you're not dead yet, you're not done yet. And so he's, he's stating this thing. And let me just tell you something about elders, okay? And, and by that I mean older people in the congregation, Our culture has tried to to make people like that feel, well, you're not really valued anymore. Get out of the way and let the young people do it. I do think there's a place where we need to step back and let young people lead. I think that's true. But one thing I know from knowing lots of young people and from implanting this church and and watching young people, one of the things they really value is having elders around. For nothing else but to tell them that they're going to live through the child-raising years. Okay? Someone who did it. Someone who did it and lasted and has some experience and can say, this isn't going to kill you. It feels like it, but it's not. They value that. Young people who are wise value the experience of their elders. Young people who are fools think, oh, you've got nothing to teach me. Just because you've lived longer, walked where I've walked, and yielded good fruit in your life, what could you possibly teach me? It sounds stupid even when I say it. And yet it's the attitude of so much of our culture. You, you elders are supposed to have a role. You're a foundation. You're to, to teach. And to, you older men, be worthy of respect.
1: And let's take a quick minute to remind you. You're listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called Transformed. It's in the series The Faith, based on the book of Titus, which is available right now at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching... Your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean.
2: River City Community Church is a church for real life. Real life is what we were created for and what we're all about. In fact, our mission is more people living real life by passionately following Jesus. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Azaro, and we believe we were made to have a life full of meaning and purpose that can only be found in relationship with our Creator. That's what real life is. It's not just a church thing. It's a way of living that powerfully impacts every area of our lives. River City is come as you are and has a relaxed, casual feel with practical teaching, inspirational worship, and age-appropriate ministry for the whole family. We're located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Our service times are Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 and Mondays at 7 p.m. River City is a church for real life, and so our home on the web is reallife.org. We hope you'll come and see us
1: as you travel the road to real life. And now back to the message transformed. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio
2: goes on and talks about the, uh, the older women. Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. What he's talking about is women who've raised their families, and in this agricultural, this agrarian kind of context, it's like they're done. And he says, don't get caught up just in spending time in gossip, drinking too much wine. He says, you're not done. He says, you have a role of a teacher. And I can hear you right now. I'm, re- I'm retired as a teacher. Yeah, well, sorry. You may have retired, and that means you don't have to go to work every day, and God bless you, you earned a, a break. That's wonderful. Take your break, and now get back in the saddle. Because we got families, we got people who need your teaching, who need to learn from you. They need to hear your wisdom and experience. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. He says, you're a family. You need that. Take, step up, take your role, every one of us. He says, but to teach what is good, then they can urge, urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will mind the word of God. Could I say anything more politically incorrect? <laughs> the uncomfortable cackle. Because you don't have to say anything next. I have to say the next words. And you're like, what's he going to go? What is he going to do with this? I'm going to say, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say the word of God is truth and we need to align our lives with the word of God. That's what I'm going to say. I don't care if it's politically correct. Yeah, it's really politically incorrect, which is a good indication it might be wisdom. And and please, younger women, do not read into that, that it is wrong to have a career and every woman has to just going to be at home and that's all she can do. That is not what is being said here. That's probably the dominant picture in this culture. That's probably by and large the majority of the women he's talking to. But that is not some edict that it's wrong to have a career. It's wrong. What he is saying is though you have a responsibility to your home. Don't miss that. Don't believe the lie. That it, who told you that the only area you can find fulfillment in life and really be something special is by your career? Who told young men that? That's a lie. We've all been told a lie. Jesus said the most important thing in life is relationships. And so what he's talking about is in the context of the home, He paints. He, he's referencing, and Paul's the one who wrote in Ephesians the biblical roles in marriage and that, how to be connected to one another, how to live in the context of a family. And he's saying to the younger women, he says, you have the most important job in the world. You are raising people, the people God loves. He says, do not miss that significant thing. You'll do many other significant things in life, nothing more significant than that. And, and by the way, that's not just for young women. Young men, I'll tell you the same thing. There's lots of people who can do your jobs. only one person who can be a, a husband to your wife and a dad to your kids. And, and you know, that statement came from what God told me about my, my job. I love my job. I believe what I do is important, but you know, I, I get to work in full time and making disciples and helping lead an organization that makes disciples. And God said, yeah, but remember you got disciples at home. And those are the ones I gave you to influence. You, you better be first—a really good husband to Lori and a really good dad to Lauren and Ryan. Because that's the first area of discipleship. Yeah, then go change the world, man. And I say that to young women: Yes, change the world, man. Rock on. But just remember, just remember, and, and don't listen to what the culture's telling you. Because if you want to get what the culture's produced, get you want to get what the culture is producing and getting, then do what they're doing. But if you want something different, then maybe try what the Word of God says that has proven to be wise over the generations. It's powerful. He says to the young men, he says, be self-controlled. In everything, set an example by doing what is good. Just because you're young and impetuous and you've got a lot of energy and you want to take the world, he says, be an example. Be self-controlled. In your teaching, he's not talking to Titus, but also to young men as they live their lives. Show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. He goes to all these different levels. And then he goes and he addresses something that it's hard for us even to comprehend. He says to slaves, which were a part of this church. And what I want you to understand, they're a part of the family. You've got to understand the context. In the context, slavery is a huge part of the culture. And so he's talking to slaves who what's most striking, if you were in that culture, what would be most striking about this is that these slaves are regular members of the body of Christ. They're part of the family you remember what paul taught was in christ there's neither jew nor greek slave nor free male nor female we're all one in christ all these divisions that the flesh does that are a result of our sin he says yeah in christ those don't exist paul is literally envisioning a world where there will be no slaves there will be no misogyny treating people badly because they're women and maybe you have power over them or or there'll be no racism where you treat people badly because they're of another race. He's, he's saying Christ has something different. He's, but then he turns to these slaves and goes, but you're here where you are right now. Because I could hear a slave, when he says these words, teach them to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not talk back, not to steal from them. Paul, you, you're not in this situation. How can you say that to us? And here's why he says it, but to show they can be fully trusted. Listen, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Isn't that powerful? See, Paul is not endorsing the evil of slavery, but he's saying right now that's where you are, and even in the midst of that, Christ's power is greater, and you can change the world with love, with integrity. And this, is, I think, is an important message for us, because we live in a world where the way you think you're going to change the world is by screaming and hate, and by demeaning everyone who disagrees with you. That never works. Love is far more persuasive. And I want to suggest, in our culture, which is struggling with racial, uh, racial unity and harmony, you'll never cultivate racial unity and harmony by calling everyone a racist. And I'm not saying, man, when we, if there's racism that happens, we need to confront it, we need to deal with it, and we need to treat it as the sin that it is. But what I'm saying to you, just understand... By just kind of this blanket thing, everyone's a racist and calling everybody a racist for whatever, to looking for it and trying to to vilify people, whether they are or aren't, you will never cultivate racial harmony and and, and unity. What you're doing instead is creating division. Love is unbelievably powerful. And you can call something wrong, you can refuse to tolerate it, and you can do it in love. And that's how you change people's hearts. See, because when you do it through anger and legislation and po- the exertion of power, it's, the change is only as good as the power. And as soon as the power balance sh- shifts, the change will be undone. We see that in our presidential thing, right? It's gotten insane. You know, every president now comes in just completely, we, we go Republican, Democrat, Democrat, Republican, and they just completely undo everything the other did before them. And it's like you, it's a great illustration of, yeah, political change, it's only as good as the power. And as soon as the power shifts... Change is over, but heart change is different. Love changes people, which changes things for good. And then I think maybe one of the most most difficult things he says is verse fifteen. He says, "Then these uh, these then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. These are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. It's like rebuke, exhort, teach. Can can we do that? Isn't that judging?" Because we live in this culture that has said, if you say anything is wrong, it's judgment. Although, certain things it's okay to say it's wrong. You can do that. But other things, you can't. Isn't it judging? Interestingly, you know, I was reading a, a, a guy who I follow's blog. And he wrote an interesting article on something that happened recently on the show, The Bachelorette. And I'll say, I went and researched, because I don't just take things at face value. I went and researched this. And uh, it made me glad I don't watch the show. Sorry. If if that's your favorite show, I'm sorry. And I don't want to offend you, and I will pray for you. It's a dating-based reality TV show where a bachelorette ultimately selects a a potential husband from a pool of these potential suitors, these bachelors, right? And with one being eliminated each episode, it's kind of a romantic survivor, okay? You get voted off the island, and the the only vote is the bachelorette. She gets to throw guys off as they offend her. That's kind of fun, okay, I guess, the idea. But the most recent bachelor is a professed Christian. She was very public about that, and it was a big part of their story. Her name is Hannah Brown. And she eliminated another professed Christian, Luke Parker. I'm like, if you're a Christian, why are you going on the show? And I don't mean that it's unchristian to go on the show, but it's just not wise. Didn't you know what was going to happen? The one thing about reality TV I find is it's anything but real. But anyway, he's also an outspoken Christian. And she threw him off the show. After they had this dating relationship, it looked like it was going to go somewhere. Well, he threw him off because he expressed his belief that sex outside of marriage is wrong and suggested that he would not be interested in continuing their, quote, relationship if she intended on being intimate with bachelors on the, as part of the show, with like the contestants as part of the show. And he, ex- he expressed this, kind of assuming their shared Christian value of purity. Well, I want to just want to say... When he did that, she got mad. He has been roasted and made a villain by pretty much everyone on the show, associated with the show. The Twitterverse has gone insane over him. He's being publicly flogged for being judgmental, for misogyny, for toxic masculinity, for being abusive, controlling behavior, all the above. All, and his big crime is that he said he wanted to save sex for marriage, and he hoped that she as a Christian would feel the same way. Now, I don't know what he was like. He may have been a putz in every other way, but that's the thing that got him thrown off the show. And she unapologetically in that process admitted she'd been intimate four different times with another one of the contestants in a thing they call the windmill. And her money statement, her money quote was, yeah, I have had sex and Jesus still loves me. And the idea is she intends to continue. And she's now on this like kind of tour of redefining what it means to be a Christian woman and a woman from the South. And it's just this whole process. And her big thing that gets quoted over and over, I've had sex and Jesus still loves me. And I want to say, yes, sweetheart, he does. That's true. He does love you a lot. He loves every person who ever walked the face of the earth, and that includes every person in hell. Jesus loves us. But you don't misunderstand his love as as him being easy or him not. Remember, God hates sin because it kills those he loves. It's his love that causes him to really hate sin.
1: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, The Faith... Based on the book of Titus, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a note that this program blessed you, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road, right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church, and we hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.